0: Hello, and welcome back to Tangents on Cracked Spines, and I appreciate you. If you're new, I would suggest going back at least two episodes uh, to get the beginning of the story. As always, listener discretion is advised, as there are adult themes. We are currently reading H.G. Wells' The Invisible Man. And we last left off with the stranger, who five chapters in is not named, being at this inn for several months now. Um, He's made everybody both highly suspicious of himself and hate him. Like, there's nobody in town that actually likes the man, because he is a rather gruff individual. Um, there's lots of rumors about him. Some say he's an escaped criminal. Some people say that he's hiding the fact that he is, um, multiple colors. There's a name for that in modern medical terms that begins with a V, and I cannot remember the name of that. There's my cat destroying things. Um... And oh yes, uh, the big thing that we ended with, other than the fact that he had lots and lots of luggage and the town... Ta- of course, that also got the townspeople talking. Um, is that someone broke into the vicar's house, and nobody... C- the vicar was there, but nobody could see. Who broke into the house and the only thing that makes me go oh my gosh is picturing the fact that this guy had to have been completely naked could you imagine like early spring in like the uh in england running around buck-ass naked just to steal something Mm mm-hmm Anyways, that's where we left off, was the vicar going, looking at his wife and being like, there, somebody was here and stole stuff, right? We heard them sneezing, we heard them running around, they lit the candle, we saw the door open and close by itself. Were we just, were we just robbed by a ghost? I digress, as always. Anyways, let us begin. Chapter 6. It's a good thing I can read Roman numerals. The future that went... I'm starting off real strong. The furniture that went mad. Now, it happened that in the early hours of Whit Monday, before Millie was hunted for the day, All right, Mr. Hall and Mrs. Hall both rose and went noiselessly down into the cellar. Their business there was of a private nature and had something to do with the specific gravity of their beer. They had hardly entered the cellar when Mrs. Hall found she had forgotten to bring down a bottle of sarsaparilla from their joint room. As she was the expert and principal operator of this affair, Hall very properly went upstairs for it. On the landing, he was surprised to see that the stranger's door was ajar. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. There are about three people who are pretty sure that they have seen the uh, invisible man be invisible. But they're chucking it up to being nuts. Or missing things. Including the doctor who was actually touched by the invisible hand and ran down to the vicar before the vicar got robbed. The vicar laughed at him. He went on into his own room and found the bottle as he had been directed. But returning with the bottle, he noticed that the bolts of the front door had been shot back, and the door was in fact simply on the latch. "'and with a flash of inspiration he connected this with the stranger's room upstairs "'and the suggestions of Mr. Teddy Henfrey. "'He distinctly remembered holding the candle while Mrs. Hall shot these bolts overnight. "'At the sight he stopped, gaping, when, with the bottle still in his hand, went upstairs again. "'He rapped at the stranger's door. "'There was no answer. "'He rapped again, then pushed the door wide open and entered. "'It was as he expected.' The bed, the room also, was empty. And what was stranger, even to his heavy intelligence, mm -hmm, on the bedroom chair and along the rail of the bed were scattered the garments, the only garments so far as he knew, and the bandages of their guest. His big slouch hat, even, was cocked jauntily over the bedpost. As Hall stood there, he heard his wife's voice coming out of the depth of the cellar, with that rapid telescoping of the syllables and interrogative cocking up of the final words to a high note by which the West Sussex villager is wont to indicate a brisk impatience. George, you get what a wand!" All right. At that, he turned and hurried down to her. Jenny, he said over the rail of the cellar steps. Test the truth what Henfrey says. He's not in you's room, aunt. Aunt. And the front door's unbolted. At first, Mrs. Hall did not understand, and as soon as she Did she resolved to see the empty room for herself? Hall, still holding the bottle, went first. If he ain't there, he said, his clothes are. And what's he doing without his clothes then? T'us a most curious bassness. As they come came up the cellar steps, they both, it was afterwards ascertained, fancied they heard the front door open shut but seeing it closed and nothing there, neither said a word to the other about it at the time. Mrs. Hall passed her husband in the passage and ran on first upstairs. Someone sneezed on the staircase. Hall, following six steps behind, thought that he heard her sneeze. She, going on first, was under the impression that Hall was sneezing. She flung open the door and stood regarding the room. Of all the curious, she said, She heard a sniff close behind her head, as it seemed, and turning, was surprised to see Hall a dozen feet off on the topmost stair. But in another moment he was beside her. She bent forward and put her hand on the pillow and then under the clothes. "'Cold!' she said. "'He's been up this hour or more!' As she did so, a most extraordinary thing happened. The bedclothes gathered themselves together, leapt up suddenly into a sort of peak, and then jumped headlong over the bottom rail. It was exactly as if a hand had clutched them in the center and flung them aside. Immediately after, the stranger's hat hopped off the bedpost, described a whirling flight in the air through the better part of a circle, and then dashed straight at Mrs. Hall's face. Then, as swiftly as the sponge from the washstand and then the chair... "'flinging the stranger's coat and trousers carelessly aside "'and laughing dryly in a voice singularly like the stranger's, "'turned itself up with its four legs at Mrs. Hall, "'seemed to take aim at her for a moment, and charged at her. "'She screamed and turned, and then the chair legs came gently but firmly "'against her back and impelled her and Hall out of the room. "'The door slammed violently and was locked.' The chair in bed seemed to be executing a dance of triumph for a moment, and then abruptly everything was still. Okay, I will confess, I've never actually seen a movie um, about the Invisible Man. But I guarantee that that scene is not in it, and it should be. If I'm wrong, please tell me and tell me which version I need to watch. Because that would be a hilarious cinematic uh, scene. As would be, you know, any of the others thus far. This is a hilarious story. Also, like, if you're going to steal from somebody buck-ass naked, maybe don't do it while you have a cold. Because I think that's also a hilarious thing, is, you know, they keep showing that... They're looking around for him because he is sneezing or sniffling. It's in, like, those scenes in a lot of movies where, like, somebody's hiding behind the curtain and they're getting away with it until, like, there's some dust or something and they sneeze and they go, Oh-ha! That's where the person is. Except you can't see this person. So they're like, what the hell? Did it go sneeze? Is my... <laughs> Is my in-bed attacking me? Mrs. Hall was left almost in a fainting condition in Mr. Hall's arms on the landing. It was with the greatest difficulty that Mr. Hall and Millie, who had been roused by her scream of alarm, succeeded in getting her downstairs and applying the restoratives customary in these cases. Pretty sure that means alcohol. Or at least spiked tea. And also, I kind of like the fact that they're like, yeah, Mr. Hall can't carry his own wife when she's fainted. He needs help. So either he's weak or she's a larger woman. The way this is, everything is spelled, I know it's supposed to be, you know, country, bumpkin, English person, but it immediately makes me go Southern. I'm sorry. Because they do what I do when I write. They write out what is supposed to be the accent. Which makes me think that, you know, there's, again, not a whole lot of difference between the accent of Southerners and people from the country in England. Ta spirits, said Mrs. Hall. I know ta spirits. I've read in papers of, an tables and chairs, leaping and dancing. Take a drop more, Danny, said Hall. Twill steady you lock him out said mrs Hall don't let him come in again i half guessed i might a known with them googling eyes and bandaged head and never going to church of a Sunday and all they bottles moran it's right for any one to have he's put the spirits into the furniture my good old furniture Twas in that very chair my poor dear mother used to sit when I was a little girl. I think it should rise up against me now. Just a drop more, Janny, said Miss Ahall. Uh-huh. Your nerves is all upset. So yes, I'm assuming that it's alcohol. <laughs> they sent Millie uh, across the street through the golden five o'clock sunrise to rouse up Mr. Sandy Wadgers, the blacksmith. Wadgers? Waggers? Waggers. Mr. Hall's compliments and the furniture upstairs was behaving most extraordinary. (laughs) Would Mr. Waggers come round? He was a knowing man, and Mr. Waggers was very resourceful. "'He took quite a grave view of the case. "'Armed, armed, if that ain't witchcraft,' was the view of Mr. Sandy Wadgers. "'You want horseshoes for such gentry as he?' "'He came round greatly concerned. "'They wanted him to lead the way upstairs to the room, but he didn't see to be in any hurry. "'He preferred to talk in the passage.' Over the way, Huxter's apprentice came out and began taking down the shutters of the tobacco window. He was called over to join the discussion. Mr. Huxter naturally followed over in the course of a few minutes. The Anglo-Saxon genius for parliamentary government asserted itself. There was a great deal of talk and no decisive action. <laughs> Pretty sure that's any government. <laughs> Let's have the facts first. "'insisted Mr. Sandy Wadgers. "'Let's be sure we'd be acting perfectly right "'in bustin' that there door open. "'A door on bust is always open to bustin', "'but ye can't unbust a door once you've busted it.' "'And suddenly, and most wonderfully, "'the door of the room upstairs opened of its own accord,' and as they looked up in amazement, they saw descending the stairs the muffled figure of the stranger, staring more blackly and blankly than ever with those unreasonably large blue glass eyes of his. He came down stiffly and slowly, staring all the time. He walked across the passage staring, then stopped. Look there, he said, and their eyes followed the direction of his gloved finger and saw a bottle of sarsaparilla hard by the cellar door then he entered the parlor and suddenly swiftly viciously slammed the door in their faces not a word was spoken until he, the last echoes of the slam had died away they stared at one another well if that don't lick everything said mr wagners and left the alternative unsaid i'd go in and askin about it said wagners to mr hall I demand an explanation. It took some time to bring the landlady's husband up to that pitch. At last he rapped, opened the door, and got as far as, Excuse me, go to the devil, said the stranger in a tremendous voice, and shut that door after you. So that brief interview, it terminated. Chapter 7 The unveiling of the stranger. Ooh, are they finally going to get a name, or are they just going to be like, Yep, nope, he's legit invisible. Let's find out. The stranger went into the little parlor of the coach and horses about half past five in the morning, and there he remained till near midday, the blinds down, the doors shut, and none, after Hall's repulse, venturing near him. All that time he must have fasted. Thrice he rang his bell, the third time furiously and continuously, but no one answered him. Him and his go to the devil indeed, said Mrs. Hall presently. Mrs. Hall presently came an imperfect rumor of the burglary at the vicarage, and two and two were put together. Hall, assisted by Wadgers, went off to find Mr. Shuckleforth, the magistrate. Really? Shuckleforth? And take his advice. No one ventured upstairs. How the stranger occupied himself is unknown. Now and then he would stride violently up and down, and twice came an outburst of curses, a tearing of paper, and a violent smashing of bottles. The little group of scared but curious people increased. Mrs. Huxter came over. Some gay young fellows were splendid in black ready-made jackets and peak paper ties, for it was Whit Monday. I really need to Google what Whit Monday is. Joined the group with confused interrogations, young Archie Harker distinguished himself by going up the yard and trying to peep under the window blinds. He could see nothing, but gave reason for supposing that he did, and others of the ipping youth presently joined him. It was the finest of all possible whip Mondays, and down the village street stood a row of nearly a dozen booths, a shooting gallery, and on the grass by the forge were three yellow and chocolate wagons and some picturesque strangers of both sexes putting... up a coconut shy. Am I supposed to understand any of that? Yellow and chocolate buttons. Alright. And a coconut shy. The gentlemen wore blue jerseys, the ladies' white aprons, and quite fashionable hats with heavy plumes. Wadger, of the purple fawn, and Mr. Yeagers, the cobbler, who also sold old second-hand ordinary bicycles, because those two things go together. Well, I mean, it's easier to ride a bike with, uh, with good shoes, I suppose. We're sh- stretching a string of Union Jacks and Royal Ensigns, which had originally celebrated the Jubilee, across the road. And inside, in the artificial darkness of the parlor, into which only one thin jet of sunlight penetrated, the Stranger, Hungry, we must suppose, and fearful, hidden in his uncomfortable hot wrappings, poured through his dark yeah. poured through his dark glasses upon his paper, or chinked his dirty little bottles, and occasionally swore savagely at the boys' audible if, vis- if invisible, outside the windows. In the corner by the fireplace lay the fragments of half a dozen smashed bottles, and a pungent twang of chlorine tainted the air. So much we know from what was heard at the time and from what was subsequently seen in the room. About noon, he suddenly opened his parlor door and stood glaring fixedly at the three or four people in the bar. Mrs. Hall, he said. Somebody went "'sheepishly, and called for Mrs. Hall. "'Mrs. Hall appeared after an interval, "'a little short of breath, but all the fiercer for that. "'Hall was still out. "'She had deliberated over this scene, "'and she came holding a little tray "'with an unsettled bill upon it. Is it your bill you're wanting, sir?' "'Why wasn't my breakfast laid? "'Why haven't you prepared my meals and answered my bell? "'Do you think I live without eating?' "'Why isn't my bill paid?' said Mrs. Hall. "'That's what I want to know.' "'I told you three days ago I was waiting a remittance. "'I told you two days ago I wasn't going to await no remittances. "'You can't grumble if your breakfast waits a bit "'if my bill's been waiting these five days, can you?' "'The stranger swore briefly but vividly. Nar nar from the bar. "'And I'd thank you kindly, sir, if you'd keep your swearing to yourself, sir,' said Mrs. Hall. The stranger stood looking like, more like an angry diving helmet than ever. It was universally felt in the bar that Mrs. Hall had the better of him. His next words showed as much. "'Look here, my good woman,' he began. "'Don't good woman me,' said Mrs. Hall. "'I've told you my remittance hasn't come.' "'Remittance indeed,' said Mrs. Hall.' Still, I dare say, in my pocket, you told me three days ago that you hadn't anything but a sovereign's worth of silver upon you. Well, I've found some more. Alo! From the bar. I wonder where you found it, said Mrs. Hall. That seemed to annoy the stranger very much. He stamped his foot. What do you mean? he said. "'That I wonder where you found it,' said Mrs. Hall. "'And before I take any bills or get any breakfast "'or do any such things whatsoever, "'you got to tell me one or two things I don't understand "'and what nobody don't understand "'and what everybody is very anxious to understand. "'I want to know what you've been doing to my chair upstairs. "'I want to know how your room was empty "'and how you got in again. "'Them as stops... In this house comes in by the doors. That's the rule of the house. And that you didn't do. And what I want to know is how you did come in. And I want to know. Suddenly, the stranger raised his gloved hands, clenched, stamped his foot and said, Stop! With such extraordinary violence that he silenced her instantly. You don't understand, he said. Who I am or what I am. I'll show you. By heaven, I'll show you. "'Then he put his open palm over his face and withdrew it. "'The center of his face became a black cavity. "'Here,' he said. "'He stepped forward and handed Mrs. Hall something "'which she, staring at his metamorphosed face, accepted automatically. "'Then, when she saw what it was, she screamed loudly, dropped it, and staggered back. "'The nose! It was the stranger's nose, pink and shining!' Rolled on the floor. Oh, so it wasn't makeup. Then he removed his spectacles, and everyone in the bar gasped. He took off his hat and, with a violent gesture, tore at his whiskers and bandages. For a moment, they resisted him. A flash of horrible anticipation passed through the bar. Oh, my God, said someone. Then off they came. It was worse than anything. Mrs. Hall, standing open-mouthed and horror-struck, shrieked at what she saw, and made for the door of the house. Everyone began to move. They were prepared for scars, disfigurements, tangible horrors, but nothing? The bandages and false hair flew across the passage into the bar, making a hubble hoy jump to avoid them. Everyone tumbled on everyone else down the steps. For the man who stood there shouting some incoherent explanation was a solid gesticulating figure up to the coat collar of him. And then nothingness. No visible thing at all. People down the village heard shouts and shrieks and looking up the streets, all the coach and horses violently firing out its humanity. That's a fun sentence. They saw Mrs. Hall fall down, and Mr. Teddy Hemphrey jumped to avoid tumbling over her, and then they heard the frightful screams of Millie, who emerged suddenly from the kitchen at the noise of the tumult and came upon the headless stranger from behind. These increased suddenly, for with everyone all down the street, the sweet-stuff seller, coconut-shy proprietor... What is a coconut-shy? And his assistants, the swing man, little boys and girls, rustic dandies, smart wenches, smocked elders and apron gypsies began running towards the inn. And in a miraculously short space of time, a crowd of perhaps 40 people and rapidly increasing swayed and hooted and inquired and exclaimed and suggested in front of Mrs. Hall's establishment. Everyone seemed eager to talk at once. And the result was babble. A small group supported Mrs. Hall, who was picked up in a state of collapse. There was a conference and the incredible evidence of a uh, vociferous eyewitness. Oh, bogey, what's he been doing then? Ain't hurt the girl, has he? Run at him with a knife, I believe. No one, I tell you, I mean no manner of speaking. I mean no marn without a... "'Without a head!' "'Nonsense! "'Tis some conjuring trick! "'Fetched off his wrapping!' He did!' In the struggles to see through the open door, the crowd formed itself into a straggling wedge with the more adventurous apex near the end. He stood for a moment. Oh, sorry. "'He stood for a moment. "'I heard the gal scream, and he turned. "'I saw her skirts whisk, and he went after her. "'Didn't take ten seconds!' "'But he comes with a knife in his hand and a loaf, "'stood just as if he was staring, not a moment ago. "'Went in that there door. "'I tell ye, he ain't got no at all. "'You just missed him.'" There was a disturbance behind, and the speaker stopped to step aside for a little procession that was marching very resolutely towards the house. First, Mr. Hall, very red and determined, then Mr. Bobby Jaffers, the village constable, and then the wary Mr. Wadgers. I noticed the magistrate chuckled something or other, was not in that. They had come now, armed with a warrant. People shouted, conflicting information of the recent circumstances. Ed or no Ed, said Jaffers, I got to rest and rest and I will. Mr. Hall marched up the steps, marched straight to the door of the parlor, and flung it open. Constable, he said, do your duty. Jaffers marched in. Hall next. Wadgar's last. They saw in the dim light the headless figure facing them, with a gnawed crust of bread in one gloved hand and a chunk of cheese in the other. That's him, said Hall. What the devil's this? Came in a tone of angry exultation from uh, above the collar of the figure. You're a damned wrong customer, mister, said Mr. Jaffers. But head or no head, the warrant says body. And duty's duty. (laughs) I'm sorry. Whether you've got a head or not, the warrant says I need to get your body. So you're coming with me. Yeah. Can you imagine being the constable coming in, seeing a headless figure eating uh bread and cheese and being like, "Hey, look, my warrant says body, head or no head, you're coming with me." Uh, <laughs> oh boy. "'Keep off!' said the figure, starting back. Abruptly, he whipped down the bread and cheese, and Mr. Hall just grasped the knife on the table in time to save it. Off came the stranger's left glove and was slapped in Jaffer's face. In another moment, Jaffer's, cutting short some statement concerning a warrant, had gripped him by the handless wrist and caught his invisible throat. He got a sounding kick on the shin that made him shout, but he kept his grip." Hall sent the knife sliding along the table to Wadgers, who acted as goalkeeper for the offensive, so to speak, and then stepped uh, forward as Jaffers and the stranger uh, swayed and staggered towards him, clutching and hitting in. A chair stood in the way and went aside with a crash as they came down together. Get the feet, said Jaffers between his teeth. Mr. Hall, endeavoring to act out instructions, received a sounding kick in the ribs that disposed him for a moment, and Mr. Wedger, seeing the decapitated stranger had rolled over and got the upper side of Jaffer's, retreated towards the door, knife in hand, and so collided with Mr. Huxter, and the Sidamorton Carter coming to the rescue of Law and Order. I don't feel like I have a small vocabulary, but what the heck is a Morton? Okay, so I just went through and googled a bunch of things. One, Whit Monday. It's the Monday after Pentecostal Sunday. So it marks the you know, descent of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus' disciples. If they'd said that, I would have known what Pentecostal Monday is. I'd never heard of it called Whip Monday. Uh, A Coconut Shy, for those who don't know, is apparently a a sideshow or fair game where you throw balls at coconuts bounced on posts. And I can't find an English definition for Sitter Morton except for those coming from uh, the books of H.G. Wells uh, as like a town in one of his other books. So I'm assuming that the Sitter Morton Carter is just a Carter from Sittermorton. And back to chapter 7. At the same moment, down came three or four bottles from the chiffonier and shot a web of pungency into the air of the room. "'I'll surrender!' cried the stranger. Though he had Jaffers down, and in another moment he stood up panting, a strange figure headless and handless, for he had pulled off his right glove now as well as his left. "'It's no good,' he said, as if sobbing for breath. It was the strangest thing in the world to hear that voice coming as if out of the empty space. But the Sussex peasants are perhaps the most matter-of-fact people under the sun. Jaffers got up, also, and produced a pair of handcuffs. Then he stared. I say, said Jaffers, brought up short by the dim realization of the incongruity of the whole business. Darn it! Can't use them as I can see. The stranger ran his arm down down his waistcoat and as if by a miracle the buttons to which his empty sleeve uh, pointed became undone. Then he said something about his shin and stooped down. He seemed to be fumbling with his shoes and socks. Why, said Huxter suddenly, that's not a man at all. It's just empty clothes. Look, you can see down his collar and the linings of his clothes. I could put my arm He extended his hand, it seemed to meet something mid-air, and he drew it back with a sharp exclamation. "'I wish you'd keep your fingers out of my eye,' said the aerial voice in a tone of savage expulsation. "'The fact is I'm all here, heads, hands, legs, and all the rest of it, but it happens I'm invisible. "'It's a confounded nuisance, but I am.' That's no reason why I should be poked to pieces by every stupid bumpkin and nymphkin, is it? The suit of clothes, now all unbuttoned and hanging loosely upon its unseen supports, stood up, arms akimbo. Several of the men folks had now entered the room so that it was closely crowded. Invisible, eh? said Huckster, ignoring the stranger's abuse. Whoever heard of the likes of that? It's... "'Strange, perhaps, but it's not a crime. "'Why am I assaulted by a policeman in this fashion?' "'Ah, that's a different matter,' said Jaffers. "'No doubt you are a bit difficult to see in this light, "'but I got a warrant, and it's all correct. "'What I'm after ain't no invisibility. "'It's burglary. "'There's a house been broken into and money took.' "'Well, and circumstances certainly point.' "'Stuff and nonsense,' said the invisible man. "'I hope so, sir.' But I've got my instructions. Well, said the stranger, I'll come. I'll come. But no handcuffs. It's the regular thing, said Jaffers. No handcuffs, stipulated the stranger. Pardon me, said Jaffers. Abruptly, the figure sat down, and before anyone could realize what was being done, the slippers, socks, and trousers had been kicked off under the table. Then he sprang up again and flung off his coat. "'Here, stop that!' said Jaffers, suddenly realizing what was happening. "'He gripped at the waistcoat. "'It struggled, and the shirt slipped out of it "'and left it limp and empty in his hand. "'Hold him!' said Jaffers loudly. "'Once he gets the things off, hold him!' cried everyone, "'and there was a rush at the fluttering white shirt, "'which was now all that was visible of the stranger.' The shirt sleeve planted a shrewd blow in Hall's face, then stopped his open-armed advance and sent him backward into Old Toothsome and Sexton, and in another moment the garment was lifted up and became convulsed and vacantly flapping about the arms, even as a shirt that is being thrust over a man's head. Jaffers clutched at it and only helped to pull it off, he was struck in the mouth out of the air, and in—sorry—and incontinently threw his truncheon and smote uh, Teddy Henfrey savagely upon the crown of his head. "Look out!" said everybody, fencing at random and sitting in- and hitting at nothing. "Hold him! Shut the door! Don't let him loose!" "I got something here. He is a perfect." Babble of noise they made. everybody it seemed, was being hit all at once, and Sandy Waggers, knowing as ever as his wits sharpened by a frightful blow in the nose, reopened the door and led the route. The others, following incontinently, were jammed for a moment in the corner by the doorway. The hitting continued. Phipps, the Unitarian, had a front tooth broken, and Henfrey was injured in the cartilage of his ear. Jaffers was struck under the jaw and turning, caught at something that intervened between him and Huxter in the melee and prevented their coming together. He felt a muscular chest, and in another moment, the whole mass of struggling, excited men shot out into the crowded hall. I got him, shouted uh, Jaffers, choking and reeling through the mall and wrestling with purple face and swelling veins against his unseen enemy. Men staggered right and left as the extraordinary conflict swayed swiftly toward the house door and went spinning down the half dozen steps of the inn. Jaffers cried in a strangled voice, holding tight nevertheless and making play with his knee, spun round and fell heavily undermost with his head on the gravel. Only then did his fingers relax. There were cries of, Hold him, invisible, and so forth. And a young fellow, a stranger in the place whose name did not come to light, rushed in at once, caught something, missed his hold, and fell over the constable's prostate body. Halfway across the road, a woman screamed as something pushed by her. A dog kicked, apparently. What is that with him and kicking dogs? Stop that. Yelped and ran howling into Huckster's yard, and with that the transit of the invisible man was accomplished. First, people stood amazed and gesticulating and then came panic and scattered them abroad the village as a gust scatters dead leaves. But Jaffer's lay quite still, face upward and knees bent. Okay. I'm going to be a little uncouth not that that's unusual but could you imagine being a good Christian individual celebrating the Pentecost and then finding out that one of your guests is invisible (laughs) I mean the only reason they didn't think more highly of this situation Is because they thought that he had robbed the vicar and had uh, been quite rude to everyone. If he had been a nice person, they would have treated this uh, unveiling of him quite differently. He could have used this to his advantage if he weren't such a ruddy sort. Anyways, Chapter 8 In Transit. The eighth chapter is exceedingly brief and relates that Gibbons, the amateur naturalist of the district, while lying out on the spacious open downs without a soul within a couple of miles of him, as he thought, was almost dozing, heard close to him the sound of a man coughing, sneezing, and then swearing savagely to himself, and, looking, beheld nothing. Yet the voice was indisputable. It continued to swear with that breath and variety that distinguishes the swearing of a cultivated man. It grew to a climax, diminished again, and died away in the distance, going as it seemed to him in the direction of Adderdeen. It lifted to a spasmodic sneeze and ended. Gibbons had heard nothing of the morning's occurrences, but the phenomenon was so striking and disturbing that his philosophical tranquility vanished. He got up hastily and hurried down the deepness of the hill towards the village as fast as he could go all right all i had a fabulous time with this story i find it quite amusing myself but that's where we'll end today i hope you enjoyed it and that my tangents didn't get too rambly Uh, If you liked it, please hit that subscribe button, like it, or review it. You can leave voice messages at anchor.fm forward slash tangents on cracked spines. If you're hearing noises in the background, I apologize. I have a cat going insane. There's a Facebook page called Tangents on Cracked Spines Book Club, where you can converse with each other, with me, leave suggestions, vote on the next story to be read, And generally do what Facebook does. You can also visit me personally on Instagram or TikTok at FrankieCore92. I would, you know, do more, but I have a full-time job and I can't handle social media that well. I'm not an old lady, but it seems to... Uh, Also, if you would uh, like some merch, my personal Etsy shop, Mama Shaw Designs, that's M-A-M-A-C-H-A-T Designs uh, on Etsy, all one word, Uh, now has merch regarding uh, this account. Uh, tangents on cracked spines one is just a long sleeve sweater uh, that says tangents on cracked spines with a book on it there's a t-shirt that says oh look with a book in front uh, on the front and on the back it says self-inflicted wound um i have one that says mary shelley mother of sci-fi with the picture of a bust of mary shelley and i also have a shirt that says carnivores not the only monsters with like a dripping apple clip art with the frankenstein face uh superimposed over it because well i'm poking fun at the fact that frankenstein is the monster is canonically uh vegan in the story So, if you enjoyed any of this, uh, go check it out, and thank you for listening. That means the most to me, to be perfectly honest. Have a good one, and see you next time.